Church family, it's nice to be able to talk to you. It's nice to be able to see you. Uh, for those of you who can see me, but I can't see you, if you're out of the room, it's delightful to have you all here. It is always exciting for us to have our deaf community as part of our service, so welcome to everyone. I just want to say that if, hey, next week is Mother's Day. Thanks, John, from all the men. Thanks, John. Next Sunday's Mother's Day. And uh, you know what? If you've dropped out of the habit of coming to church live, um, if you've just, you know, you'd, I mean, if you have to stay at home, that's, that's fantastic, and you should. But if it's just a case of, well, I've fallen out of the habit, why don't you use next Sunday, Mother's Day, as an excuse to come back? We've got a few empty seats, not a lot, but we've got a few empty seats, and we'd love to see you in person. So whoever you are, thank you for being here. And thank you for being part of those two exciting stories that we've just talked about. Um, those two big realities of life-changing interventions, and they're very well-timed, because this Sunday we're doing the second part of our Out of Slavery series, a series on money. Um, and, and you know what, when, when you're a preacher and you have to do a series on money, one of the best things about it is you don't have to scratch around in scripture to find places where it talks about money because, because there's a lot about finances in the Bible. And if you haven't had a chance, please will you go and listen to last week's sermon. It, it was preached by a, by a guest preacher, Josh Houghton from Lake Point, and it truly is one of the best sermons I've ever heard on, on the absolute highest principles around Christians and their finances, about, about the fact that Jesus says it so clearly that you cannot serve God and money. And, and it really is a, a great sermon. And today, we are, we're wanting to take a practical step. We're wanting to take a, a, a step beyond the, that, that high level theological outline. It's a good time to preach about money. I know some people think no time is a good time to preach about money, honestly, but right now is a good time. It's a good time because we are living in a time where finances are a very real struggle for almost all of us. That, that we, you know, corona happened and COVID happened and, and you heard what Richard said about the the care budget, and, and so it's a very real moment for us to kind of take stock and look at ourselves more closely. Um, it's also really a good time for us as a church because, because we really believe this isn't about you doing something for us as a church, but we believe this is about something for you, something that God wants to do for all of us. You see, the truth is so many churches teach about what you or what people can do financially for the church. And, and that happens a lot. But this is truly about what does God want for you financially? Not do, what do we want from you, but what does God want for you financially? Pastors, often get to talk about money, not just on a stage like this, but in people's everyday lives, because, because pastorally money is, 
is something that has a profound effect on people. And, and I've, I've lived a very privileged life. I, I, I've lived a life where I was provided well for by my parents, and, and I've never known huge financial need in my life. I mean, the truth is God's bailed me out on some amazing and in some miraculous ways. But I've ended up having such amazing conversations with people and I've connected with individuals in my life that have helped me understand things about God and about finances that I wouldn't normally have encountered in my own journey. I wanna tell you just four stories very briefly. The first one, is about a, a businessman, a guy called Steve. And Steve was one of those people who, who, who would go to church, but who really did have that feeling in his heart that really when the church talks about money, all they want is something from me. And, and so he, he sometimes would grudgingly go to church, and, 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 and he didn't like it when the church spoke about money. But he, he came regularly, and he was... He was a good contributor in all ways. And then one day, Steve sold a business. And, and as he was preparing to pay his tithe, because that's what he believed he should do, he, he was about to do it online. He was about to go online and pay the money. When he sends God saying to him, you know what, Steve, this is too easy for you. You, you do this all the time. I want you to take this money in cash to the church. And, you know, he went through all the normal. It's a security risk, it's this, it's that. But eventually he obeyed God. And he went to the bank and he drew, drew an, a large amount of cash. And he took it to the church office. And when he came to the church office and he handed it over, he says it was like a weight lifted off of him. It was like God had freed him from that one thing that, that was always in the back of his mind as he, as he gave, that, that I'm, 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 I'm being forced to give because somebody's kind of pushed me into a corner. And it broke that thing in him that said, this is mine and I'm giving it to God. I wanna tell you the story about Gladys. And by the way, these are all true stories. These are people I know. These aren't second-hand stories. Gladys had, was, a, was a, a widow. Her husband had been a railway pensioner, and, um, and, and he'd, he'd squandered a lot of their money. But he left her a tiny little wood and iron house in East London in a suburb called Southernwood, which genuinely, by the time I knew her, was the worst street in East London. And I'm not making it up. I mean, the whole street was, it was Gladys's little house, and then there were shabines and, and brothels and drug dens, just literally the whole rest of the street. And Gladys was quite sick, and so I went to visit her, and we sat and had tea together, and, and she talked about how good God was. And, and then at the end, as I was leaving, she said, oh, pastor, please could you just wait? I want to give you something. And she took two checkers packets and went into her, her kitchen and, and took some stuff out of the cupboards. And strange things like a half a bag of sugar and, and a few tins of food and, and various things. And she gave it to me and she said, Pastor, I want you to give this to somebody who needs food. And I'm like, Gladys. <laughs> 
How can I do that? I know the situation you're in. She says, Pastor, tomorrow I get my pension. And so God has provided for me for next month. And so this is all that I have over from last month. And I want to give it to you so that you can give it to somebody who doesn't have. The third story is about a man called Conradi. Conradi grew up in the Western Cape. And he grew up in a family that was so poor that the boys used to share a pair of school shoes. They would go to school in, on different days wearing the one pair of school shoes that they had to share between the four boys. It, it, their family was that poor. And he, he told me that as a little boy, he used to pray to God and say, God, when I'm big, please can I just have my own business, a Mercedes-Benz and a farm? And they were just prayers of a, a very, very poor little boy. I met him when he was already old. And he owned one of the biggest insurance companies, was the managing director of one of the biggest insurance companies in the country. Him and his son own the biggest private collection of Mercedes-Benz cars in the country. And, and he owns, owned three or four farms. And then there's a story of a young pastor who as he entered into ministry, him and his wife made a decision that as long as they were able, they would live on one salary and mom would stay at home and look after the kids. And that was a decision they made. And one of the things they knew that decision was going to mean was that they'd never be able to send their children to university one day. They just wouldn't be able to afford it. They wouldn't have the money to do that. And so they went through life's journey and God provided and it was amazing. And then they moved towns and their last daughter who was in school needed to go to a particular kind of school. And they couldn't really afford it and so mom went out to work and went back into the working world and started working and not only earned enough money to put their daughter through school but also their other two siblings through university. And and God was able to do that because he's God. They'd never imagined that would ever be possible. And they were okay with that. But God did something. And I know that's a true story because that's what happened to Colleen and I. You see, the truth is that God does do financial miracles in people's lives. He really does. But those big miracles, those miracles where people go from one kind of life to another kind of life, almost never happen in an instant. Oh, I'm, and I can tell you hundreds of stories of God providing in amazing ways in an instant. I mean, I can tell you lots of those. But that fundamental change of dire direction in someone's life financially, that, that often changes their life and the next generation and the next generation is truly sometimes a slow miracle. It's, a, it's, it's the idea of certain principles being lived out and then God intervening in, in, in wonderful and beautiful ways. And you see, the truth is all of us are wired differently. All of us, some of us are wired to be business people and to, and to be able to produce lots of wealth and others of us are always just gonna work for a salary. 
Some of us are just going to work for ourselves in a small business, and others are going to be, we're all wired differently, but we're all God's children, and we can all live by God's principles when it comes to finances. And so I want us to explore Scripture, and I want us to look at a whole, well, at four principles that I think apply to everybody as they journey with God in the area of their finances. And if you're going to use your Bible, maybe you've got a physical Bible with you, or, you, or you're going to look at the Bible on your phone, we're going to be in Psalms and Proverbs today. So Psalms and Proverbs are where we're going to, do, where we're going to be. Here's the first principle. And I have to say this, that if, and this is a risky thing for a preacher to say, if you don't get this first principle, the rest of the sermon's going to be a bit of a waste of time. Okay? I, I'm, just, I'm going to be honest with you. If you can't agree on this first principle, if you don't understand it and you don't believe it, then the rest of the sermon's going to be a waste of time. Because this isn't about being clever financially. For me, this is about the principles of God in finances, not only in our lives as individuals, but in his world around us. And here's the, that first bedrock principle. It's this. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. Folks, if you can't agree with that, then the other principles don't really count. You see, it says in Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so, so that's not just a statement about your personal finance or the money you earn um, or the pension or, or your possessions. That's a statement about absolutely everything in the whole world. All the resources, all the finances, all the treasures that are buried in the ground and the things that grow and the animals that walk around and you and I as human beings, this is the principle. It all belongs to God. Now, if that's true, then that includes everything you have. Everything you have in the bank, or don't have in the bank, everything you have in your home, all your talents, all your resources, all your finances belong to God. And if they do, then what you have has been given to you to manage. You see, you are not an owner of anything. You are a manager of the resources God has given to you because it all belongs to him. The, the Bible uses a different word. It says that we are stewards, not owners. We are stewards, not owners. Now, that's really important for a whole bunch of reasons. Number one, you get two kinds of stewards. You get bad stewards. Now, now, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. You know, someone's going down a really bad road and they say, she's the only car you could take down that road is a four by four or a rental car. I don't know if you've ever heard that said. And that's the epitome of bad stewardship. Because the person's gonna take it down that road because, because it doesn't belong to them. So I can mess it up, I can, I can do stuff with it. That, and, and that's bad stewardship. And then there's good stewardship. And Jesus has 
a number of stories he tells about good stewardship. And the stories are always about what God has provided to you. And, and taking what God has given to you to manage and, and look after it well. And here's what happens with good stewards. What God gives them grows. It produces fruit. It produces more. And it ends up helping the people who have it, who've been given it to care for, and other people around them. That's what good stewardship is about. Here's the beautiful thing about good stewardship. Here's a, the best thing about understanding that God owns it all, is it stops us worrying about it. It stops us worrying about it. You know why kids don't worry so much about things like this, don't you? Well, because mom and dad's resources, you know? It's why you get so annoyed, mom, with your kids when they lose all that stuff at school. Because if, if they bought it and paid for it and everything, they would look after it. But, but they have to be taught that having mom and dad as a backup isn't so that you can be irresponsible. It's so that you don't have to lose your mind every time something bad happens. And if you understand that God has provided your car for you and you have an accident or it breaks down, you're able to say, God, hey, God, our car broke down. Lord, our child that you gave me to care for is sick and needs help and I don't have enough resources, but Lord, I'm a steward of yours. And the truth is, when we understand that what we have has been provided for us by God, it frees us from the anxiety of A, having to be responsible for it all the time, and B, having to fix it ourselves when something goes wrong. We have a genuine partner who loves us and who wants us to live with what he's given us. Not just as a blessing to ourselves, but to the world around us. So that's the first principle. The first principle is this, that we are, are stewards. We are not owners. It all belongs to God. Here are the principles of being a good steward then. Here, here are the things that Scripture teaches us. Okay, you're a steward. It's your job to look after what I've given you. And it's, it can be summed up with numbers. The principles are 10, 10, 80. 10, 10, 80. And they represent things that God says about finances that you and I need to learn to live out. The first 10 is giving. Giving. The second 10 is saving. And the final 80 is living. Let me unpack each one of those in turn and the principles that God's word teaches us about them. 10, why 10? Well, it's 10%. Giving, not just 10% to God, but the first 10% to God. Proverbs 3 verse nine says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be full to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So why 10? This is referring to what 
the Old Testament talks about as a tithe. And it was one of the laws that God gave his people in, in, in how they should live out their lives, that they had to give a 10% a tithe to God every year. Now, okay, we'll get to church and that stuff now. And, and here's the thing, we don't teach tithing as a law, we teach it as a principle. We teach it as a principle. Why 10%? Well, firstly, because 10% is fair. A percentage that God says you should give is fair because, because it means a person who has lots of resources can give a bigger amount, but it still has the same impact on what they gave. And a person who has smaller resources gives less, but it's still the same percentage. And so God is saying, I understand your circumstances. I understand that some people have more and some people have less. And so here's this principle that it's a percentage. The second thing that's great about it is 10% is quite significant, isn't it? It's, it's hard. And, and in, in a sense, it's a test. You know, I mean, it's always easy to give extra. But this passage is very specific. First, 10%. We'll get to the first in a moment. But 10%. You know, there, there are times when the month is tight where I look at that and I go, you know, could we do eight? But you hear, what is God testing in us? He's testing our depth of trusting Him. See, that's what the test is here. Are you trusting me? But here's the cool thing about this test. It's not only a test of, for us, it's a test for God as well. It's the one part of Scripture where God says, you know what? This isn't just a test for you, it's a test for me as well. There's a very famous passage in Malachi that, that talks about God's talking to his people and, he's, and he says to his people, bring your tithe into the storehouse. Do what you're supposed to do financially and I will pour out my blessings on you. Test me in this, says the Lord. And so it's not just, the 10% isn't just a test for us. It's a test for God as well. We've been given God's permission to do that. Why is it the first? Because that's a big thing in this passage. It's the first fruits. Because it's that acknowledgement that this comes from God. This is not about what's left over. This is not about what I have and decide God needs. This is what God has given to me and I give back to him. Isn't it true that we automate what is important? You know, uh, you know the big payments in your life, they're automatic, aren't they? The bond, that kind of stuff, it's automatic. And, and, and if we could learn to do that with our giving as well, it, it would change because it, it, it's automatic. Of course God gets it. And the other things come after that. Maybe you're like me and you grew up tithing. Uh, I don't know how many of you grew up like I did. Get my 50 cents pocket money 
And then dad would say, here's, and here's a five cent piece, and that must go into the offering at Sunday school. How many of you, can I have an amen or two on that one? Who grew up with that? Yeah, Barry, at least you did, I did. And then I would check, I would be checked up on, did it go in that offering? Because, <clears throat> yeah, other people, not me. Those of you who've spent your whole life tithing, I think you can testify to this, that you'll never be able to afford to tithe until you do. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you do. And then you discover that, yo, this is amazing, and God's test here does actually work. Now remember, this is not a quick fix that solves my problems overnight. This is God taking us on a financial journey. Here's the second principle, the second 10. And the second 10 is this, saving. So the first 10% I give to God. The second 10% I save. Proverbs 21 verse 20 says this, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Here's the hard thing about saving. Here's the really hard thing about saving. When are you gonna start doing it? I mean, how many of us have said, I know I should save, but I'll do it when? I, I know that I, I, I should be putting money away, but you know, when I get the new job, or when I get a proper job, or when I get that increase, we're always doing the when. Can I tell you when you're gonna start saving? When it becomes an emotional decision for you. I know that sounds weird, but it's true. You know, if I told you save 5,000 rand a month for the next three months, you'd go, mm. But if I said to you, listen, the doctor says your child's gonna need an operation in three months, time's gonna cost 15,000 rand, save for the next three months. You'll do it, won't you? I wanna tell you a story about a young lady, and I have her permission to tell the story. She's one of my daughters, Amy. Amy, money just went straight through her pocket. I mean, literally, when she was growing up, it was just, she had it and it was gone. And then one day she came to me and said, Dad, can I have a drum kit for Christmas? And I went to look at how much drum kits cost, <laughs> and I came back, I said, no, they're too expensive. She says, Dad, if I save up half for the drum kit, will you give the other half to me for Christmas? And I said, of course I will, knowing that she was never going to get a drum kit, ever. This was about February, March. And so I'm, I forgot about it. March, April, May, June, Amy comes to me, she says, Dad, here's the money for the drum kit. I'm like, for what? I couldn't, I mean, literally, I couldn't believe it. But here's the best part of that story. That moment changed the way Amy thought about money, and I've chatted to her about it. A few, few years ago, she, she was changing jobs, and, and, and she, was, she was very unhappy where she was, and she, and she just wanted out. And I'm, I'm Amy, please, Amy, Amy, don't, you know, Amy, wait until, you found a new job before you start quitting. 
Yeah, I'm being a good dad, hey? Come on, dads, you would have all done that. And she says, Dad, I can't stand it anymore. I said, but what are you gonna do if you don't get a job? She says, oh, Dad, I've got three months' salary in the bank. And I was like, whoa, wow. You see what happened? God changed her mind, and it's affected her whole life since then. Here's a bad thing. We don't live in a saving society. Stats I was able to get that said South Africans who do save, save 0.5% of their disposable income. South Africans who save, save 0.5% on average percent of their disposable income. We live in a society that doesn't promote savings. And folks, I, 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 this is one of God's habits he wants you to get into when you're as young as you can be. And I, I wanna explain to you why with the use of three people, Jessica, Bongani, and Kuis. Both of them are, are hoping by the time they're 65, they're gonna have some money saved. And Jessica decides she's gonna save 1,000 rand a month for 10 years. And she starts when she's 25 years old, and she stops when she's 35 years old, and she just leaves the money there till she turns 65. Bongani starts a little later. Same amount, 1,000 rand a month, from the age of 35 to 45. And then Kuis saves from 45 to 55, same amount of money, and they're gonna go and get the money when they're 65 years old. Here's what happens for each of them when they turn 65. Jessica has in her bank account 1,325,251 Rand. This is taken on a, on a fairly good interest rate. Bongani has about half of that, 673,691 Rand. And Kuis, shame, he's only got 342,479 Rand. What happened? Compound interest is what happened. Here's a beautiful passage, and it's not specifically about compound interest but it comes from Proverbs 21.5. Steady plodding brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. What a beautiful passage. Steady plodding brings prosperity, but hasty speculation brings poverty. You see, there are two kinds of people in this world, those who earn interest and those who pay interest. Now, I know that we live in a world where it's hard to save. I know that. We live in a world where it's easy to get credit. And I know that some of the things we have to borrow money for, things like houses. But one of the principles in God's word is that for long-term financial stability, to, for, for blessings, God gives, and we must use it well, and part of that is saving. There are two types of people in this world. Those who pay interest and those who earn interest. And here's the third principle, that 81. Living on the rest. Living on the rest. Proverbs 22 verse seven says this, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. You know what the problem is about being a slave, don't you? 
is that you don't have any choices. Slaves get told what to do all the time. And one of the greatest problems in our society today is that our money tells us what to do all the time. And part of it is we live beyond our means. Now, I've got to say that this is one of the hardest things for me to say to people. And it's interesting, I've discovered as I've been on this journey that, and this is weird, this is a confession here, it's, it feels easier for me to say to people who have less resources that they should cut back on their lifestyles than it is to say to people who have more resources. I don't know why, that's kind of a weird thing. But, but the truth is, so many of us get ourselves into so much trouble because we live beyond our means. In America, the average family spends 101% of their income every month. Now, it's not rocket science. And the truth is, we, we want things, and we live in a society that normalizes debt. And, and we all get those SMSs that we can find freedom if we, you know, because this and this person has organized us alone, and, and it's a lie. You can still get nice things. I promise you, you can still get nice things. I know, especially for the younger generation. The older generation used to get nice things through a process called labor. Who remembers labor? Yeah. It was when, you know that washing machine that you had to have? That you went and got it. Well, you didn't get it. You paid something for it, and then every month, they kept it in the shop, and, and you just kept paying for it, and then when you'd finished it, finished paying it, you didn't pay any interest, and you took it home, and you had a brand new washing machine. But in the meantime, you had to use your hands, and your skin got dry, but it's okay because your bank balance stayed healthy. But what do we do today? We go and buy that washing machine on credit, and then by the time we need a new one, we haven't paid the first one off and, and it's worthless. We have to learn to live on what God has given us. You may be thinking of buying a car. You decide you're not gonna be Lani, you're not gonna buy you know, a Bugatti or a you know, a Ferrari, you're just going to buy a Toyota Corolla. And that local garage is offering it to you at 350,000 Rand. That's awesome. At 15%, over 18 months. Which means every month you have to pay 9,740 Rand at 80 cents. And when you finish paying that car, how much does it cost you? 467,566 Rand and 60 cents. Maybe you should have just bought a cheaper car. Maybe you should have just said, I, I mean, all of us want our first new car, don't we? But maybe we should have just said, well, I could have bought something smaller. I could have got something less. Maybe I do need to actually go and live in a smaller house. Maybe I do need to start living differently because the principle is this, God has given you enough to live on but you will never be able to give and you'll never be able to save if you live on more than that. Folks, this is really practical and it's hard. And the truth is, I don't think I'm preaching to people who haven't made bad financial decisions in their lives. We all have. 
All of us have made silly financial decisions and done things we shouldn't have done and been emotional when we shouldn't have or bought into some get-rich scheme. We've all done it. But the beauty of God is that he wants to put our lives back together, not just for us, but for the generations to follow and the next and the next. And so here's the practical thing. If those things are true, and I believe with all my heart they are, that if we are only the stewards of what God has given us, that we must give the first at least 10% to God. And I know that churches have been terrible at abusing this. I know that. And I know that some people just can't get over that emotional step. And I wanna say this to you, that if that's you, if you're going, now, John, you've just preached this whole sermon just to get me to give you more money to the church, I wanna tell you, please give, but give somewhere else. If you can't get over that hurdle, because it's not, the idea of giving isn't so that churches or other people can get rich, it's so that you can be blessed by God. So the first thing is you must learn to give. And then the second thing is you have got to learn to downsize perhaps what you have in order both to live and to save. Once again, I want to affirm that this isn't easy. This may take you five or 10 years to, to slowly extricate yourself out of a situation you've honestly got yourself into. But so many of us do this because we want to give God all of us except that one part. I don't know if this is a true story or not, but there's a legend that, that the crusaders used to hire mercenaries to fight the infidels. And one of the things they did was they baptized those soldiers. They were often foreigners, they weren't Christians, and they would baptize them because that's what you're supposed to do before you send people off to kill somebody else, apparently. But but many of those soldiers, when they were baptized, would hold their sword hand out of the water because, because God could have all of them except that part. And I honestly believe that in the kind of society we live in today, so often we hold not our sword hand but our wallets out of the water. Say, so, Lord, all of it, but this, no. Remember those people I talked about at the beginning. Two of them are still alive and two of them have gone to be with the Lord. One of them was massively wealthy. One of them was very poor. One of them I consider to be quite ordinary. <laughs> and one of them was wealthy but not massively so. But all of them have left a gift, and it's the gift of God does miracles when it comes to finance. When Gladys died, she died with everything she needed, and, and amazingly, she was even able to hand a tiny little bit on to the next generation. When Conradi died, he was able to, to, to hand millions. He can't use it anymore, but it's gone to his children and his family and to God's kingdom some of it even to our church. You see, because God is working in all of us, not just in one area of our lives, but in every area of our lives to bring us out of slavery. 
the slavery to sin, the slavery to broken relationships, and the slavery to money, because you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love the one and you will hate the other, or you will obey the one and disobey the other. And God is giving to all of us freedom from slavery to money because he loves us and he wants us to live as true stewards of everything he has given us. I'd like you to stand and I'd like you to celebrate with me the gift of God. God, we just wanna say thank you for this gift of being your stewards. Lord, as we put this into practice, Lord, won't you lead us to people who can help us in this journey? Won't you bring us into those conversations we can have? Because Lord, we, we know we can't do this on our own. Lord, we ask for your blessing on us. Not so that it can be well with us, but so that we can live as true stewards of, of your earth and your gifts and your finances. Lord, we, we say thank you for what we've had and for what we give. We say thank you for what we can save and how we can, we can build other people's lives up. Lord, thank you that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it and that we get to partner with you in that, in Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, before you go, if you need to have a conversation with somebody around finances, I, I know that you can chat to, to, to Richard. Richard's got a team of people who would love to have conversations with you if this is an area you need to work in. And, but even if you don't wanna talk to Richard, find somebody to talk finance with you, and it doesn't have to be a rich person. Some of the best conversations I've had isn't with rich people, but with people who have the right relationship with their finances. And so I don't leave it here. If you need to have this conversation, please have it. But in any case, go now in the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all of God's children said, amen. amen.